Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Nightmare Magazine Story Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Kincaid. Nightmare Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams and Wendy Wagner. The stories of this podcast are produced by Skyboat Media, helmed by Stefan Rudnicki and Gabrielle DeCure, in association with Jim Freund. Our next offering for the August issue is The Hunt for the Leather Apron by Gene Neary. The story is read for you by Paul Bamer. The Hunt for the Leather Apron is copyright 2016 by Gene Neary. Gene Neary is the Coretta Scott King honor-winning author of Yummy, The Last Days of a Southside Shorty, and the recipient of the Lee Bennett Hopkins Promising Poet Award for his free verse novella, Chess Rumble. His novels include Surf Mules, the Horace Mann Upstander Award-winning Ghetto Cowboy, and Knockout Games, winner of the Florida Book Award. His latest book is a middle-grade mystery about the childhood friendship between Harper Lee and Truman Capote, called True and Nell. He currently writes full-time and lives on the Gulf Coast of Florida with his wife and daughter. Visit him on the web at www.gneary.com. And so ends this week's intro. So without further ado, let's have a nightmare. The Hunt for the Leather Apron by G. Neary On August 4th, 2014, a researcher at the British National Archives came across a sealed envelope entitled the Leather Apron. It had not been opened in over 125 years. The envelope contained many elements of a closed investigation into the famous Jack the Ripper case. Among the items was the written testimony of the 21-year-old son of Marianne Polly Nichols, the woman considered by many to be the first official victim of Jack the Ripper. While her son, Edward John Nichols, had been estranged from his mother for eight years after she abandoned her family. He became obsessed with her shocking murder and vowed revenge when he found out about a potential suspect, a local man who had been extorting money from prostitutes, known only as the Leather Apron. The following is a handwritten account of the young man on Metropolitan Police Stationery, the Criminal Investigation Department of Scotland Yard, dated September 31st, 1888. Sirs, when I first heard me mum had been murdered, I thought me dad was having a go at me. Dad thought nothing good of her after she left us eight years ago. After years of fighting and splitting up, he had finally caught her doing some dodgy things round Whitechapel. Things she ought not to be doing, like being with other men, drinking and carousing and other run ladylike stuff. That were enough to end it once and for all time. I am one in twenty now, old enough to know what them things are. I've been with girls, 
kissed them and done things maybe I should not. I knowed mum were troubled and liked to chase away her demons by drinking gin, but all on account of dad's philandering behaviours with a nurse many years back. Mum and dad fought like lions and blood was spilt by both sides. One were always leaving the other in a lurch. All five of us kids were left to fend for ourselves with me holding the clan together. In the end, Dad couldn't take it no more and kicked her out. Or she quit us, depending on who you talked to. That were eight years ago, and Dad raised us in the time being. Mum liked to sneak round sometime when Dad were away at work, usually to scrounge up a bob or two. But them visits became less and less until they stopped altogether a few years back. Cause of all them rumours floating about, some kids at school liked to put insults into me ears. Your mum's a whore who slept around for a cup of gin. I am quick to anger and usually boxed them in the ears and told them to fuck off. But I knowed it to be true, she slept around to make money for herself, as she had been unable to keep steady work as a maid. Once I went down to Whitechapel Road to see her with me own eyes, there she were, standing in a doorway on Buck's Row, gussied up with lipstick and blush. She had a hunger in her eyes that I'd only seen when she could not get a drink into her belly. I hid and watched her for a good hour as she talked up strangers and foreigners. When she went off with one fella I could not follow, that thought made me sick in my stomach. Dad always blamed her for our misfortunes, but Grandad says it were Dad's fault. When that toffer nurse of his started coming around to our place, I could not stand to be with Dad no more and I quit him. I were living with me Grandad for a good while when Dad came over one day and spouted off that Mum had finally gotten what she deserved. She is dead. He had tears in his eyes, but bitter anger on his tongue and said words I am sure he regretted later. Grandad almost kicked him out, but they were both so overcome with grief, they fell into each other's arms and did not say another word for a good long while. When Dad said he were going down to the morgue to identify the body, I said I were coming too. I still could not believe what he said. I needed to see Mum for myself. He had heard awful things about her death and said it were not fit for a mother's child. We argued something fierce, but I am no longer a child, so he couldn't stop me. But as we entered that evil place, a stillness overcame us, and I thought of fleeing. I steadied my head and says to myself, No, I must see what's become of me, Mum. It had been a good two years since I'd seen her up close, but the undertaker warned us she were not as we knew her no more. She were now forty-three. People always had said she looked a good ten years younger. Well, no longer. When the man pulled back the sheet on her body, I could not believe what me eyes saw. She looked like a dummy somebody had made up of wax. I was certain it were no human body. First off, her hair were greying, and she was missing all her front teeth. Then there were bruises on her jaw, and her nose were all off like it had been broke. But the eerie part were... Her eyes were slightly open. I looked away, 
but it was then that I saw the slit on her throat. I knew then she were done in. Dad was shaken and only said it has come to a sad end at last. We all knew it would end badly for her. It was just a question of when. The undertaker man started to pull the sheet back up, but Dad stopped him. Show us the old body, he said. The undertaker looked shocked, as did Grandad, but Dad would not let it go. He had to see for himself. The man warned him that her front side had been cut open and her innards violated. Dad heard as much. The man said it were not proper for human eyes. Dad said he were no longer human. Do what I tell you. The man looked grim, but did as Dad said. When the man lowered the sheet and I saw a gaping chasm that had once held me baby self, I lost it. Grandad had to take me outside to calm me nerves. Seeing Mum laying there on a cold stone slab as lifeless as a dead carcass in a butcher's window, well, that's enough to make any man lose his faith in God. At the funeral, I couldn't even look at Dad. Summit inside me blamed him for Mum's awful demise. If he hadn't had a mistress, Mum would not have took to drink and running away from us. And if that hadn't happened, she would not have ended up on the streets doing what she'd done. She had much wrong in her life, but he were to blame for most of it. In them days that followed, no witnesses came forth with any news on the killer. The papers played up all the brutal details as they saw fit. I could not read any of it. I kept making inquiries to the city police and the metropolitan police, but they could not be bothered. They cared little for who was. What's one more dead, they'd say, when me back were turned. But when a week passed, and another woman showed up butchered in the same neighbourhood, in the same vicious way as mum, neck slit, stomach cut open, well, the gates of hell opened up and the rumours started to flow. It were a gang of thugs, people said. No, it were a single lift-ended killer. The papers started saying it were a serial killer, on the loose, on account of a couple of dead whores from the month before now being lumped in as victims with mum and the other. Talk were cheap, and life weren't worth much in these parts. People died all the time because of a squalor down here. This ain't the west side. Us senders are the scrap of humankind, and we are kept downwind so the likes of the Queen should not have to smell our dirty selves. But this were different. People got scared. It were the viciousness of it all that raised a panic, and mixed in the murky smog of London where you sometimes couldn't see the hand in front of your face. That made it all the more fearsome, an unknown killer on the loose in the fog of London were the stuff of nightmares. Dad took to drowning his sorrow with drink. But I were too angry to drink. I wanted to do something else. I wanted to see Mum's killer die. And if the police couldn't do it, I would. I took a room at a doss house down by Box Row. It broke me heart to see how Mum had been living. It were almost worse than being dead. Whores and tricksters, drunkards and sailors, it were all mixed up in a soup of filth and decay. 
Even if the rumours of the prince whoring it up at nights down here were true, our node Queen Vicky weren't living like this. They cared not a whit for us lot. I wandered the streets. I didn't know what I were looking for. Maybe I expected to see a killer hanging out on the corner with me mum's death in his eyes. But all I saw were loneliness and despair and pain. That's how I were feeling at least. I started talking to some of the locals, trying to find someone who knowed me mum. Fly paper sellers, shellfish mongers, cross sweepers, broken down poets, crippled beggars and the like. If grandad or dad found out what I were doing, they'd take a fist to me head and straighten me out for good. But soon as I found an orphaned street girl who had knowed her, and I have to admit I was so overcome to hear the stories about her life that it were almost too much to take in. The girl said sometime mum slept in the doss house on the corner, other time in the streets or squares with herself. Sometime mum would give her a few pence to help her out. Other times she spent her money as soon as a trick were done, stopping at a gin joint on her way back and spending her three p. Then she would turn around and find another fella. Sometime, if it were too cold and damp for customers, and she could not afford a bed, she would wander around the churches where the police couldn't arrest her as long as she kept moving. The last time she'd seen her, Mum had spent her last tuppence buying a bonnet to make herself look pretty. I'd seen that bonnet on the belongings the coppers gave me dad. People started talking saying it were a foreigner who'd done it, maybe a Jew. No regular person could do such horrible things, certainly not a proper English man. Rumours started spreading about one bloke in particular, a Jew they called the Leather Apron. They called him that because he were always wearing one, some said to keep the blood off his clothes. A freshly washed apron had been found near the body of the second woman, Anne Chapman, and that had set the rumours off and running. When that news rag, the star, did a big write-up on the leather apron, the story spread like fire. They said the leather apron wore a deerstalker cap, just like the one that Sherlock Holmes' character did that were all the rage last Christmas. Only this bloke, he were a downright scoundrel, extorting money from the local who was and killing them who refused to pay. The killer's eyes were small and glittering, the article said. He were a Jew, and the worst, most sinister kind. His lips always parted in a grin. They said he prowled around after midnight with slippered feet and a sharpened knife, and the scariest thing about the leather apron, he moved about like a whisper, as the whores never heard him coming till it were too late. Well, a damn riot near broke out when that article hit the stands. Police took to the streets looking for this leather apron man with the sharp knife. Folks pleaded with the police, crying out for justice. Fights broke out and many Jews was attacked by mobs. The whores were skittish and some took to carrying sharp objects to protect themselves. Nobody seemed to care nothing about me poor mum no more, just for their own sorry eyes. I couldn't blame them, none. After that, when anyone found out that I were the son of poor Mary, or Polly as they called her, I got no more sympathy, just a look of horror.
Word got out in the doss house I was staying in, and I were asked to leave by the manager. He feared it were too dodgy, and that the killer would come after me too. I felt cursed. And maybe I were. I started drinking myself, something I'd not done much of, but gin were downright cheap here, and it took the edge off of things. And once the edge were off, everything else started to happen. A whore called Emily, who knew Mum, took a kindness to me, and I spent more than a few nights in her warm bosom. But she soon became scared of me, because I started having delirium and dreams about the leather apron. I saw a man with a moustache sharpening his blade. I saw me mum standing under a gas lamp. I saw the apron taking her from behind. I saw the blade and the blood that flowed. After a few nights of this wretched torture, I could not stand it no more. I wanted to kill the bastard myself before he drove me mad. I begged mum's friend to help me and she finally broke down and confessed the leather apron were a man named Jack Pizer. He had beaten her a couple of times and taken her DOS money. She hated his guts, but he were no Jew. Just a bastard. She heard he were in hiding, maybe at his cousin's place down on Whitechapel Road. I made her take me there. It were a simple row house with a butcher's shop in front. She thought the butcher were his cousin. He were wearing a leather apron too, but she said he were all right, just cheap. It were the cousin, Jack, who were the rotten apple. I told her she could go now, but she warned me not to take the law into me own hands. I told her I weren't going to do nothing. I just wanted to see the man who'd done in me, dear old mum. When I finally got up the nerve, I went into the butcher shop. The cousin were much bigger up close. He looked me over all queer-like. There were a lot of police detectives and, worse, newspaper men roaming around the neighbourhood looking for the apron. The cousin were clutching a bloody butcher's knife as I interrupted him, cutting up some sort of meat. He asked me what I wanted and I just froze. I had no weapon on me, no knife or gun or even a rope. Suddenly I weren't sure what I wanted. I pretended to busy myself by looking at his meats, but his stare got the best of me, and when he looked away, I bolted for the door. I were a coward. I went and found the spot where Mum had been killed. It were night by then, and dark as soot, as there were no lights on the east side. But I knew where the spot lie. It drew me like a siren. The street were barely lit by a window above. I stared, stupefied, at something dark on the cobblestone. Me mum's bloodstains. I blacked out. When I awoke, I were in a jail cell. It took me a moment to realise what happened to me. I could feel a lump on me head, and thought maybe the apron had smacked me upon me noggin. I called out for a guard but they ignored me. Beside me in the next cage were a man who were crying. He had some great sorrow in him, rambling to himself. I could tell he were a foreigner type, a Jew from Poland or the like. He were upset and spoke of the demons in his brain. A guard finally came to tell him to shut up, calling him Kaminsky and some hateful names. 
The man ignored him and kept yammering away, saying he were at fault. I begged the guard to let me out, and he said not till I was sober, and I told him I had note to drink, but fainted when I saw the spot where me dear mum were murdered. This shut up Mr. Kaminsky, who just stared at me in aura. The guard seemed to know who I were and suddenly said I could go. He watched me the whole way out, with a look of such pity. It made me ill. I were determined to find this killer now. The first thing I'd done when I got out were to go to Dad's place as I knew he had a collection of knives that I could borrow. He were not at home, but me little brother Percy were watching me other siblings. He asked me what I were doing here, and I told him to mind his own. I went to the back room where Dad kept his knives. I found a good one that fit in me hand and I could conceal. I slipped out the back window, into the alleyway. I headed straight to the butcher's place, there were many coppers policing the streets now, and some vigilante groups were watching everyone suspicious-like. I started to sweat. If they found me carrying a knife, what would they think? That I'd done in me own mum? When I reached the butchers, I decided not to go in again. I could not face that man. Instead, I snuck around to the back down the alley that smelt like rotten flesh and fish guts. A skanky mutt were licking something foul I did not want to see what. The fog were thick as thieves, but I could see a small space that had note but a tiny doorway in a window. The door were locked. I peered into the window and saw what looked like a small storage room. There were a makeshift bed of straw laying on the floor, and then I saw the deer stalker cap and a leather apron. The window did not open, so I took my knife and used it to pry open that tiny door. The lock were fragile, but it popped open, and I were in. It were much darker in there than I thought. My eyes couldn't adjust quickly, but as soon as I stepped inside I drew my knife and set out to find Mum's killer. It did not take but a second. Two feet in the door slammed shut behind me, and a giant's arm took me from behind with a blade at me throat. By the Lord's mercy, I dropped me own knife I was shaken so bad. What do you want? shouted the man. His breath smelt like gin and herring. Me eyes almost came out me head, I was so panicked. Are you with that rag of a paper, the star? Or are you a copper? I shook me head no and felt me own piss dribbling down me leg. Tears came, and I knew the end were near. I could feel the cold blade on me neck, edging into me flesh. Mum, I am coming to be at your side, done in by the same blade of death, I cried. The man whipped me around. Who are you? He were huge, a neck that were as thick as me waist, and a moustache that looked like a wild animal. His eyes were wicked and wild. Who are you? He said again, shaking the life out of me. It all came blubbering out. You murdered me, Mum, not a week ago, so you might as well do me in too. I no longer wish to live, and if I cannot watch you die, then I might as well join me Mum in heaven. I waited for death to come. He stared at me, wide-eyed with madness in his face. You! Oh, the son of that woman who were killed last week? he asked. I nodded, 
He got very angry, very quick. His hands grabbed me collar. He shouted, I did not murder your mum. I may be many shameful things and have done much wrong in this world, but by Jesus, a murderer I am not. With each word, his grip got tighter and tighter. I found it harder and harder to breathe as he kept shouting, I am no killer, I am no killer, I am no killer. Over and over he yelled, his eyes getting darker and darker with madness. I felt me mind fading fast, and the next thing I knew, there were a great commotion in the front room, the sound of men coming fast, their boots pounding on the wooden floor, their steps grew louder and louder, until the door exploded open. The room were filled with coppers, all shouting and grabbing at the leather apron before I became his next victim. I fell to the floor when they tore his grip away, my breath pouring back into me lungs. The apron fought them off like they were nothing. It took six fellas just to pin him down to the ground. I scrambled away from the madness, right into the proper boots of a man in a bowler hat with a big grey moustache. He pulled me aside and when things were under control, told me he were a Sergeant Mr Thick. He looked at me and asked who I were. I told him. He asked if I were all right and I said, I right enough to see this killer die. The sergeant rubbed his moustache. Jack Pizer, he said. Jack stopped struggling and looked up at the man. They seemed to know each other. Jack whimpered, by Jesus, I am no killer, gov. The sergeant looked at him long and hard. I know, says Sergeant Thick. Did I hear right? By Lord's mercy! He is the killer, I says. Sergeant Thick did not believe me. I know this man, and he is a downright scoundrel, but he is no killer. He were in jail when your mum died. I am sorry for you, but the killer is still on the loose. You have me word. The air went right out of me lungs again. The killer was still alive and well, and waiting to strike again? My mind was spinning. They took Jack Pizer away, told him he had to leave London for his own safety, and he went willingly. But right before he left the shop, he reached into his pocket and pulled out two guineas and handed it to me. What's this, I said. I don't care nothing for nobody, but that is what I took from your mum these last weeks. I am damned either way. God forgive me. They left and a constable now waits for me to finish writing of these events laid out before you. Sirs, me mind is blinded with confusion. Mum's still dead, and me soul dead too. If the leather apron is not a killer, then the killer is still out there waiting to be found. By Jesus, I will find him, even if it takes to the end of me days on this earth. Edward John Nichols' testimony was of little use to the authorities. The next day, two new victims were found within minutes of each other. The Jack the Ripper letters began to appear in print, and his legend sealed in history, though the killer was never caught. Little is known about Mr. Nichols, but subsequent reports state that after years of searching and trying to live a normal life, he was later admitted to an institution for the insane.
Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the story. Please consider making a stop at our website at nightmare-magazine.com. If you'd like to help spread the word about the Nightmare Magazine podcast, find us on iTunes and leave a review or rating there. Nightmare Magazine is published by John Joseph Adams. If you haven't already subscribed, check out our many options at nightmare-magazine.com slash subscribe. The stories of this podcast are produced by Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy award-winning narrators Stefan Rudnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. You can check out Skyboat Media's website at skyboatmedia.com. Post-production is in association with Jim Freund. Music and sound logos are composed and performed by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. There's other ways you can be notified of new Nightmare Magazine content. You can subscribe to our free monthly newsletter or RSS feed, follow us on Twitter, or like our fan page on Facebook. If you visit nightmare-magazine.com and click on this month's editorial, you'll find links to all of our social media pages. This podcast is copyright 2016 by Nightmare Magazine. Thanks for joining us. Sleep tight. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.